Welcome to Opening Night, the new segment of our podcast, Double Features. We have just watched a movie and are about to tell you about it. My name is Bren. What did we just watch, Paul? Hey, Bren. Uh, we went to see Watcher by Chloe Okuno, who also directed VHS 94, but I believe this is her feature film directorial debut, mm-hmm. and starring Micah Monroe, bona fide scream queen, she of the guest, and villains, and of course It Follows, which we covered extensively on our first ever episode of Aww, this podcast. It's like full yeah. circle. I know. Nostalgia. A moment there. Um, <laughs> so The Watcher, or sorry, Watcher, stars Micah Monroe as Julia, a recent American immigrant who has moved to Bucharest with her husband, Francis, who's played by Carl Glusman. So Julia spends her days alone in their apartment or exploring the city, but as she becomes more and more isolated, she begins to fixate on a shadowy figure across from them who seems to be watching her. And that's kind of where the film starts, and it unfolds from there. But what were our impressions? What did we think? Well, we will tell you our impressions. We'll give a general review, and then partway through we will uh, announce a spoiler-rich section um, that will be best enjoyed by folks who have already seen the movie. So first impression is this slaps. I had such a great time watching this in the movie theater, and Paul had a different experience. I just felt like this was a movie that was just fun. I feel like it's been a long time since I have gone to the movies to see a horror movie that, you know... I don't want to say it wasn't groundbreaking because it truly was like excellently crafted with a lot of precision and a lot of care. And it was it's like very, very effective at what it's doing. But there's something so like just pleasant about watching a movie and having it not be like a big commentary on what the horror genre is or like a big commentary, like a meta, whatever, whatever. This is just like it's what it says on the tin. And there's it's it's much more than that. It's more than the sum of its parts, but it's not trying it's not it, it it feels effortless really and it's like the kind of movie that I just sort of enjoy watching as a person who likes horror movies I just felt like I was the target audience for this one yeah I mean I know I agree with lots of that I mean it's a very effective genre film right yeah and like any really effective genre film it ends up being more than the sum of its parts mm-hmm. by doing the one thing it's trying to do really really well yeah and then conversation points and broader themes kind of unfold from there so I yeah. agree with you but it's it, it kind of just executes its concept and its premise, which is this idea of watching and being watched and the, I guess, the fluidity or the mutability of, of voyeurism mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. In, in, I don't know, the, the modern day, or however you want to put it. It does that really, really well. And it's smart, too. Like, there's there's some decisions that the movie makes that are just really, like, savvy. So the the, the fact it's, like, set in Romania... There are no subtitles and our main character doesn't speak the language. And we, you know, it puts her in this position of isolation that is like really, really, really effective. And I don't think I've seen a movie um, capitalize on this kind of setting in this way. Um, There's also just like some really, you know, good horror scenes, just good horror scenes. Like there's like a little moment in a supermarket that is like a very tense little moment. And it's just executed so well. There's like scary moments of a woman alone in this apartment and the apartment is beautiful and the window is so big and it's just like, it knows what it's doing. It just yeah, feels Yeah, knew exactly good. what it wanted to do. Um, the jump scares are effective. There are some genuinely nasty little flashes of violence but they use very, very sparingly. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I agree with everything. I think the only area that you and I had a slightly different experience <laughs> is in... So usually, if you... Listener, if you listen to our other kind of larger show, Double Features, 
Um, usually I'm the one who's like, that was a fun film. And I'm like, that was harrowing and very serious. <laughs> I thought it was really funny. It was actually <laughs> hilarious and over the top. Uh, with this film, I mean, it, it had all the genre beats and, and did interesting new things with them without trying to break the mold. I agree with you. Absolutely. Those are its strengths. But I also thought it was a really kind of spare and really somber film. It's mm -hmm. kind of a sad film. It is it, sad. It, it hinges on... Um, this really kind of raw and exposed, you know, both kind of thematically and, and literally mm -hmm. this this ex performance of exposure, this exposed performance by Micah Monroe. And it really lingers on her loneliness and her pain. And it just, and it's in this kind of very kind of blank apartment and these expansive kind of austere exteriors of all these kind of Soviet era apartment buildings. And I thought that just aesthetically and tonally, it was a somber little film yeah. that did some things really effectively. I, I don't mean little in that it was, it didn't have scope. I mean that it, it's quite short. Mm -hmm. It tells its story. It's narrow. There's like one character who takes up most of the screen time and she just absolutely owns that shit. She does an amazing, amazing performance in this movie. Um, and you're right. I mean, it is like somber. It's quite the color palette is very muted. Um, there's a lot of like silence. You know, there's a lot of like walking around this unfamiliar city. It's it is a quiet film. And I think like you're right. I feel like the reason that I had such a like a a fun time was I realized that it was speaking a language that I was fluent in, which is just like horror genre language. It wasn't. Mm -hmm. I mean, it had like it had, it flirted with the sort of edges of the genre a little bit. It was like, ooh, it might be this thing. It might be this other thing. And then there was like something so delicious about that and not knowing. And then it like sort of it just knows who it's speaking to. And so for me, it felt. There was a familiarity that it was part of its appeal for you. Yeah. Despite that's what I it being say. kind of right, somber like, and dealing with, you know, serious themes at the same time. Yeah, and no, I, I love a movie that is like, you know, dealing with serious themes and doing big things, but I just hadn't had a break from that in a while. And this was like one of those films where I just went to the movie theater and had a great time watching a movie. We went in and we watched a horror film. Yeah. But there's still lots of food for thought. So yes. I mean let's let's start, I think, or or continue, because we've already started. I really want to go to think about the core of the film mm -hmm. um, because the core of the film, I mean, this, it really is like with men that we watched last week or, or two weeks ago. I forget now what is, what is time? What even is, what even is time recently. right now? But we, yeah, recently we went to watch men, which is very reliant on two performances. Mm -hmm. This film is also very reliant on two performances, but really in particular, it's reliant on one performance because uh, Michael Monroe's character has to be, both the the conduit through which we watch this unfamiliar world, and she is also it's not too much of a spoiler to say the person being watched. Yeah, and and how she experiences that dynamic mm -hmm. and how she relates to it and engages with it is also related to um, this isolation that she's feeling as a foreigner who doesn't speak the language in an unfamiliar country. So in order for that to work as effectively as it does, we both need to, she needs to be someone who who we, you know, we are drawn to as mm -hmm. an audience, which, you know, she's a very effective performer. That's, it's no surprise that she pulls that off, but also someone who we kind of, we can register the, the tiniest changes in expression as mm -hmm. she watches the world around her. Mm -hmm. So the opening shot is of her 
watching this new country through the screen of the car windshield. A screen, right. Lots of lots. Well, of that's the other thing, here. right? So, like, it's speaking of filmic language. Things to know if you haven't seen this movie yet, right? It's speaking of filmic language that has a very, very long history, which is mainly just the window as a screen. So early on, we learned that this woman, the character, um, had aspirations of being an actress, but it, quote, wasn't for me, unquote. Um, And so we already have this sort of like cinematic, you know, or like at the very least screen oriented relationship that she has to being watched. Um, And then, you know, there's these lessons that we get from the filmmakers of old, right? Like these big 20th century names who are establishing things like the window is a screen or, um, you know, watching and being watched that's what cinema is that's what cinema is about is like is about what is what is seen what can be seen etc so this is a film where like the performance of our main character she very you know readily takes on the gaze of the camera there are very seamless like really lovely editing here where the the shots move from her looking to what she is seeing and there's some shots where the camera is very literally like what she's seeing like things are being cut away things are being obscured um she turns her head away when we're about to see you know like various random things and she she occupies that gaze very very you know, very fluidly. And then at the same time, we, she has a, a vulnerability on the screen where mm. every, there, we're watching her. We're she watching her. Is coming, she's being watched. We're watching her be watched. We're watching her in her setting, right? So, like, there's a couple of really wide shots of her in this apartment, this beautiful apartment that has really high ceilings and this lovely inbuilt bookshelves that I'm so jealous of. But it feels like, like spare and unlived in. And we yeah. get these shots yeah. of her just wandering around the wilderness of this apartment being small, right? And being vulnerable. And the first half of the movie, like there's, they don't have curtains on the windows. And being centered. Mm-hmm. So many of the shots, she's right in the middle. Right. Which, and there's tracking shots and there's yeah. all sorts of things. And, and again, when, when something is like, I mean, like Wes Anderson uses a lot of like really um, precise like imagery. Entering, yeah, yeah. But that's one of the things about his films that makes us a little, a little uncomfortable, right? If you're going for a more naturalistic look, generally you try and throw things off just a little bit while still like, obeying the the geometry of film mm-hmm. language and and using those shapes in familiar ways but there are lots of moments where her kind of her pinpoint positioning right in the middle of the frame is is really obvious and really leaves her exposed mm-hmm. so it's very clear that she's meant to be against a screen type background whether yeah. that's the the drawn curtains or the window frame or or whatever um so as you say yeah there's lots of there's there's her performance on the one hand which it has to be effective for us to to see her as someone who um, is drawing the the lens of the camera, but also as a conduit for the cinematic gaze. Mm-hmm. And then there's all within that dynamic. There's all of these ways that the language of cinema is being evoked and then subverted. Yeah. Right. Like these cutaways that negate the shot reverse shot format that you expect that mm-hmm. you're going to have and or I, the eyeline match, which doesn't. We get an eyeline match for her, but then not from whoever is is looking back. Yeah, we don't get any POV shots from the person who's looking back. No, um, they're all closer. Of the they're film. all too close to her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's got the eye line. She, there's no shot reverse shot with her and who she's looking at. And then another thing I noticed a lot was that um, the depth of focus would change based on like what, you know, I mean, a basic camera thing, right? Like she's walking in the in the frame and then she notices something behind her and then the, the depth of field changes so that the camera is now focusing on the thing that's behind her. But in many respects, like especially in the early parts of the film where she's like wandering around Bucharest, the, the way that she pops out 
of the frame makes it seem like the background of the city is sort of like this blurry screen that she's just in front of because none of it is in focus except for her. And she's just like walking around like the very beginning of this film. um, She's, she's got like another thing about this movie is the, the costuming. I just like, I really noticed it. It's so, so you know the whole beginning of the film she's got these outfits and i was telling paul um they are very much the outfits of someone who is trying to make it in hollywood like they're very put together they're very eye-catching they're very like flattering and she's just walking around bucharest in these outfits taking pictures of shit ordering coffee and like all these different things and she's like got this touristy vibe where she's like popping out of the background literally because she doesn't belong right but then later it becomes this sort of threatening thing where she feels isolated from the world that she's in and she is therefore conspicuous Yes. And, uh, and or she has this feeling that she's being looked at, right? And right. being picked out of a, well, not a crowd really, but like which picked course, out of the landscape. Which of course she probably is mm-hmm. because she's sticking out like a sore thumb because she's clearly an American tourist yeah. dressed like a failed actress, <laughs> right? Um, or like a former actress. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So again, you get this, as, as you're kind of saying, this again, there's this back and forth, this bait and switch where she is the American tourist in maybe an ostensive position of power by some measure in that she's looking at this city in a country that doesn't maybe have, you know, quite the economic stability that the USA does uh, or whatever. You know, there's the figure of the American tourist as watcher. That's mm-hmm, a well-worn mm-hmm. trope. And there are moments when she certainly is cast in that in that role, there's actually a really funny moment. She's chased out of a building that she's actually not meant to be photographing. She's like, she's inside, it's like a government building. She's just taking yeah, pictures yeah. of the architecture and the, this dude comes out and is like, what's that? And like, that's very knowing, that's done on purpose, yeah, yeah. right? But then as you say, the way that she stands out against the background, the way depth of focus is mm-hmm. used, the way costuming mm-hmm. is used, immediately turns that back on her. And the way in which she's conspicuous, combined with, as you say, this, this choice to isolate the viewer um, within her kind of language bubble mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. she doesn't speak the same oh language my God. as everyone else. The camera, the way that the camera reinforces the language barrier is so smart. Like there's a couple of moments where there's like a conversation happening in Romanian near her and the camera like starts by doing shot reverse shot with the people that are in the conversation. But as her level of comprehension starts to like dwindle or as they stop speaking in English or stop offering translations, the camera just sticks to her because we're not, you know... She has no idea what the people are talking about and what's important is her interiority. And so, like, you know, sometimes you get the sense that you could understand what was going on if you if you were, like, looking at the people's facial expressions. Like, if you've ever tried to learn a language, these are sort of the cues that you pick up. But the camera, in many instances, like, just refuses to give you that and just, like, lingers on her. So we just have no idea what's going on. As she is excluded from the, as mm-hmm. she is excluded from the linguistic exchange, mm-hmm. she is also excluded from the expected visual exchange yeah. of the camera. Yeah. And so then the isolation, the seeing that is enabled by shared a shared linguistic category, a shared language, um, is directly equated to the, the seeing yeah. and the being seen of the camera. And so it's all linked back into this way in which she is isolated and exposed, but also has has certain forms of, uh, you know, is conspicuous because she also can't see in particular ways. I mean, it's... It's, it's just so good. There's, like, there's it's a, just such a good movie. There's this back, as you can see, we're kind of like, we're going back and forth on this because that's what it, you know, a, a well-executed film with this kind of theme should do. It should make you think about questions of who's watching and who's being watched. 
But I want to say, like, what does this all add up to? I think there's mm-hmm. there was a fear mm-hmm. that both of us had, and you know, as as now kind of like a, a review and a recommendation here, there was a fear that I think both of us had. Um, at least midway through the film when all of these, you know, this back and forth, this bait and switch on the position of, you know, voyeur and person who's being watched and how that relates to all the themes and the mm-hmm. camera work. Is it going to be too cute? Is it going to be well, too clever? Well, not even too cute. I mean, I had this moment, like, they give you, they tease you. There's, like, this feeling of, um, like, the, the film is very savvy, right? It knows its audience. It's sort of telling you that it knows how to do an effective jump scare. It, it's telling you that it knows how to do an effective chase scene. But it's, like, toying with the idea that this might just be, like, a drama film uh, without, like, it, you know, there's, like, a there's a, a killer on the loose. But, you know, there's a very, there's a variety of just things that make that fade into the background and you you worry as a horror fan if you have walked into like a little drama film where someone is like bait and switching you and i was like as as this movie was going on i was like perfectly happy there i was very i I love a drama film i was like great if she if it ends this particular way i'd be like perfectly happy yeah i i think i was a little more worried that because there there are two things like um so Underlying all of this is the the kind of gendered aspect of this film where she is isolated and currently unemployed and they've moved here for her husband's and work. And she has no friends and she, she doesn't has no speak friends, the language. She knows nobody. She's, she's, there is this gendered aspect where she is not believed when she starts mm-hmm. to, to think that she's being watched. And that that is a really interesting drama that exposes a lot about this kind of like very typical, uh, you might even say regressive, um, gender relationship that she seems to have found herself in almost by accident mm-hmm. or by by circumstances of where she's in in her life. And it could be fine if he took her seriously, but he he doesn't really. Not only does he not take her fears seriously, but that's indicative of other ways that he is um, there's an undercurrent of dismissiveness. So yeah. there's ways there's two there's there was two concerns that I had for this film. Um, number one, that it would it would do the thing that I sometimes get angry at horror films for doing, where it kind of um, it, it's like you were stupid for thinking that this of, was going to be a horror blames movie. blames her, right? And, and kind of by virtue of that also blames us. Mm-hmm. And then I was also worried it was going to just get too wrapped up in all the questions that we're getting wrapped up in now. It <laughs> failed to be an effective horror film. I would say I don't want to give away any spoilers because this is the non-spoiler section, but rest assured that it does, it does neither of those things. I feel it treats her character and the relationships that unravel very, very seriously mm-hmm. and very effectively and allows these really excellent performances, because oh, his yeah. performance is great too, to really yield uh, to the fullest extent. And at the same time, even within all these kind of interesting questions that it's posing and uh, asking and answering, it doesn't forget to be just a straight up genre film and a horror film yeah. like we started off by saying. So on, on that kind of level, I would really recommend going to see it. I found it to be like quite sobering um, just because I, I found the, the performances really affecting. Mm. And I think that that will be an experience that some will have. But if you're, if you're a horror fan. You know, um, this is definitely like just a, very very well executed film and yeah, if you're like right. a horror fan and you want to see a good fucking movie this is this is the movie it's just a good movie what can i say i really enjoyed watching it yeah so i guess there's nothing left to do other than uh in this first section brand mm-hmm. other than to give it a rating on our shriekometer just to remind you all the shriekometer is a very complicated way of giving a film a rating out of 100 <laughs> it is rated 0 to 100 decibels um, on the shriekometer, 10 decibels is like the sound of a leaf falling. 100 decibels is like 
very unpleasant noise. So obviously, a very unpleasant horror film is an effective one. Mm -hmm. So I would say that this was an effective horror film and a really effective film. And I just, you know, I, I was taken by it. I would give this a solid 80 to 86 <laughs> on the trigometer. Bram, what do you think? Last time, I think I was a little facetious with my rating. I gave men like a rating that was too low for the level of intensity that it had. Um, so this one, the level of intensity is much lower because it's a much more quiet film. Um, but it is extremely effective. So I agree, Paul, it gets an 80 from me. Okay. So I think we round that out at about like... 83. 83. Perfect. Great. 83 uh, for, for Watcher. Check back in if you've watched the film and want to hear us discuss some spoilers. Or if you don't care. Or if you don't care. Welcome to the spoiler-rich section of Opening Night. I think we are literally just going to start with the way the film ends. Yeah, let's get to the ending because that's really the only thing that we didn't give you a good impression of. Um, so, a surprise. There is a killer. There is a She was right. She was right the whole time. Not only, Thank goodness. Not only is there a killer, but it is the killer that she thought was a killer. It's been, yeah, it's been the guy she's been watching the whole time mm -hmm. who she's been obsessing over. And all the questions about who's watching who. Yep, yep. Um, they get answered. He, he accosts her. So there's... He does not accost her. Like, I think one well, of the... he does. Coolest... He does on the train. Well, he he doesn't control the trains, Paul. But here's the thing, right? Oh, so, he planned that. I, here's the thing. The ambiguity here is so fucking satisfying when you're watching the movie because it's like so... They really keep you in suspense up until the very last second. So there's a part where, like... I was telling Paul that if I was in this movie, I would have died instantly because the second he waved back, I would have been like writing notes on the window and being like, do you want to go get coffee? Let's become friends. I'm in a new country. I don't know anybody. You just waved at me. Let's go. But for her, she like has the two readings that coexist very comfortably and also very uncomfortably next to each other are the readings where she is instigating everything, right? She waved first. She is in the movie theater and she like runs away from him, which causes him to like run, you know, to be like, what the fuck is going on with these pickles? There's, um, <laughs> she, she breaks a jar of pickles and he she like does, walks over does. to the pickles. Um, they're like all the thing on the train, right? Like she gets on the train and he is there. There's like, and she, you know, she brings the other guy to the dad's door. She seems, there's a reading that in which she's instigating everything. And I love how ambiguously it exists alongside the reading of she's being stalked, right? So the question of who is being stalked, is she stalking him or is he stalking her? It has an answer. And the answer is he's stalking her. Yeah, he is. He is stalking her. It doesn't mean that she hasn't followed him at times to try mm -hmm. and solve the riddle of being stalked but he is stalking her mm -hmm. but but you're right like that other reading um could exist comfortably by itself if not for the ending so there's right. like a separate film that exists there that is then negated somewhat but that we can't forget so it allows this question of who's watching who what is it who's watching who i don't know i mean so that that reading right and there's there's the one where it's like okay there's a woman and nobody is believing her about the kind of violence to which she is vulnerable which is like one kind of horror and then there's this other kind of horror where you're just like a dude living in your post-soviet country and this fucking american comes in and just harasses the shit out of <laughs> you and your old ailing father Right. So like the, she like she's got this entitlement and she's got this feeling that everything is about her and that she has to be watched and she is the center of attention when and all this stuff. Right. But she's right. 
Right? Like, there's a particular, like, one of the things that he says to her in her in his little monologue on the train, which is one of the tightest, best parts of the script. Like, it is so well scripted. Um, yeah, he's awesome, by the way. One of the things that he, he says. He gets more to do than, than you would expect from a seemingly anonymous yeah. um, figure. Yeah, He gets a lot to do. And one of the things he says to her is, like, classic me. I thought I was becoming, like, an old weird perv by by imagining a pretty girl looking at me. at me from the window and waving back at me. And there's like this weird little moment where it's like, well, of course she is the pretty girl. Like she can't not be the, even when she's miserable at the cocktail party, there's that one shot of her looking over the balcony. I'm like, oh my God, she's gorgeous. Right. But then, but then if you, but it's all, it encourages, it encourages you to keep on going back and forth in your head because mm-hmm. that, that justification, that blaming of women for the way that they, you know, you made me fit just, yep. just like with men just last like with men. last week. Like you made me fit. She can't help that she's beautiful, and that he uses that narrative of his insecurity to justify mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. his awful behavior. Yeah. And but like we almost fall for it yes. because it's been doing this back and forth so often. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. Well, the weirdest part is that he makes her apologize for him stalking her. Yeah. Right. And she does. And she- and she does because that's the other really interesting kind she's of. She's made to feel sorry for being a victim here. Well, she's made to feel sorry repeatedly, not only for being a victim, but for being a victim who attempts to advocate for herself. Mm-hmm. Every time she attempts to advocate for herself and her own needs, either with her partner or in the you know the building she lives mm-hmm. in, kind of in general, she is she is dismissed. Or, or labeled as a troublemaker. Mm-hmm. And so she ends up, instead of trusting her own instincts, she ends up in an increasingly more and more dangerous situation because she she kind of, she falls into the trap, the, the very the very gendered trap of of continuing to be polite. Yes, of, of my favorite. Of not wanting to rock the boat, mm-hmm. of not wanting to make a, a, a spectacle of herself. Yeah. I think the scene, like, so fridge horror is one of my favorite tropes, and this is the trope wherein something happens and you don't realize that it was scary until later on. Um, my favorite moment of that in this film is the moment where her neighbor um, goes missing and they are in the room and she's like looking at the closet and she has this moment where it's, she's about to, it's clear that she's about to say, we should go check in that closet. And then she realizes like, no, she doesn't want to seem paranoid. She doesn't want to make a fuss, blah, blah, blah. And then later on we find out that the killer was indeed hiding in the closet with the neighbor. She's, but because she's already been made to look ridiculous because everyone around is already angry at her. She doesn't want to be, any more trouble she doesn't want to look mm-hmm. like a fool i mean mm-hmm. the landlady actually says yeah right she's hysterical i don't want people in this building who are going to make trouble right so by virtue of being polite she ignores her own instincts mm-hmm. that one time and the next time that she hears <laughs> a noise from the apartment next door mm-hmm. and she follows that noise and goes to the source the killer is there that is the moment when the the answer is the, the question is finally answered the, the killer is there answered. okay so I mean, the very basic version of this is in in kind of like in one fell swoop, we learned that her her fears had been correct, mm-hmm. right? The killer then proceeds to 
tried to kill her mm-hmm. in the way that it's been described in kind of these serial murders we that have see, been going we on. We see the neighbor's body decapitated. Yep. Awesome little moment. Mo- it's only for a second, but it's like such a satisfying little moment of gore where I was like, oh, horror. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Here we are. Here we- he gets his, his plastic bag, which has been a recurring visual motif mm-hmm. throughout the film and was basically the most threatening thing when he was delivering his monologue on the train about oh, yeah. this pretty girl uh, across from him in, in the building. You know, he, he starts to suffocate her. He proceeds to to cut her throat or part of her throat as a prelude, we assume, to an ultimate decapitation. She crawls away towards a gun that we know is hidden in uh, the coffee table. There's something also. There's something so satisfying about seeing that gun and being like, "Ah, oh, yes, horror movie. That gun is going to go off. That a gun Chekhov is going to go off. It's going to get fired." Right, and then I totally forgot about it. It just worked on me. It just worked. She crawls. She crawls. Seemingly, she loses so much blood that she can no longer struggle towards the source of her salvation. And as kind of the life sputters out of her, he lies down on the ground. And watches. And watches her. And for the first time in the movie, we get a complete shot reverse shot. Where we finally know it's him. We finally have the source of the other watcher's face. Mm -hmm. So finally, the language of cinema is returned to in its kind of entirety or in its familiarity and oh, it's so satisfying but the shot reverse shot does more than simply saying she was right now we see who's watching her mm-hmm. because in kind of like a twist reveal when the boyfriend comes back he investigates the scene where we assume that she's been murdered mm-hmm. and she gets up and shoots this fucker yes right so it's like this pa- shot reverse shot is passing the torch mm-hmm. and she in, gets to become the killer she gets to become the killer and she gets to be the one who's inflicting violence. And she gets that that iconic killer moment, you know, from Halloween yes. and everything else. The final girl little moment the, the of vindication. Fi- but also the resurrection of the serial killer. Oh, the yeah. person who won't stay down. Mm-hmm, she yeah. refuses to stay down. I, I mean, I guess we, we are we are to assume that she's, you know, she's an actress, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So she realized that her throat wasn't cut badly enough mm-hmm. for her to bleed out. Um, but she pretended that it was. Ugh. So fucking smart. And then, so there's something, there's also something so satisfying. Those two things that sort of go with this for me. The first one is there's a part early on where the husband is like, luckily, if he ever comes here, you'll have a big, strong man to protect you, which immediately my eyes are rolling all the way into the back of my head. Um, It's very believable that he would. It's believable that he would say that, but then also like. It's tongue in cheek, but it's it's, not. It is true though that like, you know, there's a kind of security that goes along with having another person in the house. Right. But at the, but this time he not only she is being killed on the other side of the wall where he is sitting and he's not doing he doesn't know he's not doing anything he's not like inv- she, he sees the suitcase that she's been packing up to leave him and he's just like oh fuck and he's like sitting there with his head in his hands very sad whatever she gets to be the one to like take all the agency and save herself which i just find very satisfying the second thing is that her friend who died who was murdered um says to her early on uh that living with the uncertainty might be the best outcome because you don't want to end up dead and saying i told you so right so the whole movie i'm like god damn it she's right like maybe this is this is the toying that we were saying like the film toys with the idea that oh you know we might end up with the uncertainty and that might indeed be the best outcome and we might never know and blah 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 but the very last shot of the entire film is her looking into her husband's face covered with blood holding this gun and he's just looking at her shocked like what the hell and she has this look like you didn't fucking believe me. You didn't believe me. And now we're definitely getting a divorce. Yes. Oh, it's so good. It's, it's so good. It's so satisfying. But 
just like in, you know, all these other, kind of as we've been saying consistently, all these, it teases you with other potential films. Uh And so all those other potential films exist within this Mm -hmm. film. But then the ending allows you still to get that moment of satisfaction. And it's really important that, I think it's important that if she was right all along, and I think it's it's important for a number of reasons, but first and foremost, because of the dynamic that's been established in the relationship between these mm-hmm. these two actors who play yeah. either side Where of his, this couple. He feels like the main character. She's just someone who is at home, you know, waiting for him always. Right, and and we get these scenes at the begin at the end of, of end of the days where he's kind of narrating um, what's happened to him, his his trials and tribulations, his successes. But we only ever get the tail end of it, so mm-hmm. we're getting we're getting the monologue yeah, of yeah, the action yeah, of the yeah. day for the main star, which is how he sees him, sees himself, and probably to yeah. an extent how she sees her. I mean, like one of he's the... getting to live that. Sorry, she sees him. He's mm-hmm. getting to live that life. One of the very first things he does, right? She says, "Please wake me up when you are getting ready to go in the morning," and he says, "Of course I'll do that." Next shot, she wakes up in bed alone. There's a text that says, "Couldn't couldn't bear to wake you." Here's a photo of you sleeping. Right. Yeah, so not only is yeah, he occupying yeah. this position of watching her and looking at her and he's like, you need to show up to this cocktail party and you need to look nice. And he's clearly been describing her as being beautiful to his coworkers because that's something that they say about her. Right. They're like, oh, you're beautiful. So he has that's the only thing they say. That's the only thing they say. Like, oh, you're just as beautiful as he described. And you. then they proceed to cut her out of the conversation mm-hmm. yet again. He's and make jokes about her in front of her in another language. Well, make, make jokes that are. That are making light of her trauma. Yes, right. Which is um, which is the which is the moment, but she's been learning romance, so yeah. she's she's finally able to see. She's finally like oh, she's God. able to see him really for who he is mm-hmm. at that moment as well. So again, this kind of seeing motif. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It's so good. I mean, so there's something really, really, just really excellent and vindicating about the final scene just she gets she gets to shoot the guy they have another shot reverse shot moment as he's dying laying on the uh in the hallway everyone sees him like people come out of their little everyone sees everyone sees him get shot now you all everyone see. gets to see her come out of the, her um out of this building with her throat cut and all this stuff and then she gets to make eye contact with vindicated. her husband totally vindicated yeah she's vindicated the audience is vindicated and just just to go back to their relationship dynamic a little bit, this this moment where at the party when she, he tells this horrible joke about her in Romanian mm-hmm. and she has been trying to learn to surprise him. Yeah. And boy, does she surprise him. Oh, yeah. Because just at the moment when he's telling the worst joke imaginable, <laughs> saying at least she has the spider, the spider this the serial the killer. killer to keep her company, making light of her pain. Mm-hmm. That's the moment when it starts to click for her. And so boy does boy does she surprise him, but there's this there's this back and forth in their dynamic where he at least initially he is saying what he thinks is the right thing to say. <laughs> it's so simple. Like I was sitting in this movie theater and I'm like, do people in relationships really act like this to each other? It's and like I know they read, do. It's like, like he's like read a, a handbook for like the modern man and how to how to validate yeah, the yeah, feelings yeah. of your partner. But because he doesn't, he's not actually interested in doing it and he, he doesn't actually believe her. It's just like scripted. It, it comes off as platitudes mm-hmm. and the veil kind of drops at some point or it becomes increasingly unbelievable for her and she begins to realize that. And then he also gets tired of it. So there's a moment like, you know, he says like, oh, I totally get it. Like, no, I totally understand. Like a couple of times. But then partway through, he's just like, what do you want? Just tell me what you want me to do to fix this. And she looks at him and she's like, nothing. 
There's nothing you can do. You can't fucking help me with this. You don't believe because me. Because he's already, he's shown the moment, the moment, the first time he didn't believe her, he demonstrated that he, mm-hmm. he couldn't help her. Mm-hmm. All he had to do was to believe her. That yep. was it. Yeah. That was it. So there's, there's again, this this really cool dynamic about I both sides of that partnership being able to see finally one another for who they are mm-hmm. and for the truths that they have been telling either kind of implicitly through mm-hmm. their behavior mm-hmm. or explicitly saying this is happening to me yep. and so that moment when they when she kills the guy and they have that final shot reverse shot there's a complete seeing yes between the two of them. everything is completely and we get eye level shots of both of them yeah right so it's oh, oh so then the, the the themes kind of come full circle and uh and are embodied by and epitomized by and, and solved by that that one final moment. And and it's allowed to be done in such a satisfying way because she's right, because we get that nice little kind of um, uh, flash of gore at the end. Yes. And it, and it all, it, it's, I mean, in a way, the, 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 the genre aspects of it allow a fun little bow to be mm-hmm. tied on it. Um, it's a museum, right? Yeah. This is like he says when they're, when she's walking to this club, he's like, it's a museum. And she's like, what? And he's like, no, 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 it's a club. But she goes in and what's on display are women. Right. And so like there's something so satisfying about the end of this film. It's like it's set all of these pieces up where you're you're worried for a moment that this is just a a film about a woman being paranoid. And then it just turns it back. And it's like, just kidding. Yeah, she was right. So what do you think? I hope that you maybe I hope you agree with us or maybe you don't. Um, Hit us up on on the social media, Instagram, Twitter, whatever. We hope that this was an entertaining conversation for you to be part of. Uh, We really, we really enjoyed watching. Yeah, we really enjoyed watching Watcher. Thank you for listening, listener.